Show that special woman in your life that, that you love her and appreciate her. Here at Grace Church, we celebrate womanhood on Mother's Day, and so, uh, so we got something special and planned for all of our ladies here at Grace Church, um, but I, I'm hoping to see all your smiling faces, because uh, it's always a good time to get together. Um, also, the week after, May 19th, we're doing water baptisms here in this service. So yeah, come on, somebody's excited about that here. Uh, so much fun to watch somebody come up before this congregation and say that God has changed me and I'm testifying of that today by getting water baptized. If you have not taken that next step in following Jesus as, as, as God called us to be a disciple, be a follower, and what that looks like is that we take that step to give everybody that public declaration of what God did on the inside through water baptism. If you haven't done that, Sign up today, take the class, and then if you decide, you can be part of the service next week, and it's just so much fun. It's, it's one of my favorite times uh, of getting together and watching what God is doing, amen? Yeah. Amen. Well, hey, I gotta give a disclaimer. Uh, I have enjoyed this weather, but I think I have a lot of allergy things going on, and, uh, or it's a cold, but I'm fighting something, so if I'm off today, it's because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on a lot of different medication right now, so I just want to give that disclaimer right now. Whatever I say, I may or may not remember, so, uh, so pray for me. Pray for your pastor, but I'm so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we are on week two of our relationship series called Relationship Goals relationship goals, and uh, last week we kicked it off, not only the beginning of our series, but the beginning of the Bible. We, we talked about the first couple where they were in a perfect environment, first couple, Adam and Eve, and how God designed mankind in a way that we would, we're, we're wired and built for relationship. We were built in relationship. What a blessing we have that God created us to have this connection with our creator, also, we see that God created us with an identity that we need to value, and so we need to have a right relationship with ourselves, and then a relationship that's right with each other. But we know the story. We know that it didn't just end there, but that sin entered the heart of man, and it broke the relationships, and it caused strife, and it caused pain, and a lot of us are suffering today from this problem of sin through relationships, and so... If it was left in that way, we'd all be lost. But thank God for his son, Jesus Christ, that he didn't leave us that way, but he came to restore and to redeem relationships, amen? amen. And he made it right that he gave us the redemptive power to redeem these relationships, to redeem our hearts, and to connect us once again with our Heavenly Father. So that's where it all began. And um, I, I, I talked about how you know, this relationship thing. Sometimes we look at these, these relationships on social media and we look at them and they look all perfect and pristine, but we have to realize that that's not our goal is to try to look the part, but the, the goal is to have healthy relationships, lasting relationships, relationships that build up, not just perceive a certain aspect, but it has a real meaning of wholeness within it. And thank God that he makes that possible through Christ, Amen. Now, I know that this series, it, it, it might feel like the nature of it is all about family and family dynamics, and, and, and I wanna tell you that, yeah, I'm gonna hit a lot about family dynamics, but just know that any principle from the Bible is always principles that we could put in any type of relationship, and so I hope that you pick up on some of these things so that all your relationships would be enriched through God's word. We know that God's word is a blueprint on how to have healthy relationships, how to build them, and how to maintain them. We learned last week that it's not trying to build up this perfect circumstance that gives us the ability 
to have healthy relationships, but we know that right decisions produce healthy relationships. Right decisions produce those things in our lives. You know what I love about the Bible is that as I read through it, the Bible is filled with stories of real people, real struggles, real normal people with real problems. Do you know that 75% of the Bible was written in narrative form? I like to tell people this way, when, when they haven't read the Bible, I like to tell them that the Bible is God's story written through the lives of real people. I love that about the Bible. I love that these are just real people like you and I, that they've gone through doubts and fears and, and, and they feel and, and we get to see that through scripture. You know, in the Bible we can read about somebody's success and their failure. And oftentimes, it's in the same chapter. But isn't that how real life goes sometimes? I mean, have you ever had that happen to you where you could do the right thing and then instantly afterwards you say the wrong thing? You know what I'm talking about? You feel really good about something that you've done and, then, and, and you feel really good about that and then all of a sudden you say something wrong and it all just falls apart. That's real to me, that's real life. In this story, we're taking time to kind of look at family dynamics through the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis. And as you start reading through these families, you see that they are very dysfunctional, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and there will be a lot of examples of what not to do, along with some lessons on what to do. But more importantly, as we read through these families' history, we also see something important. We see a thread in there of God's redemption and God's grace. And for some of us, that should be some hope rising up in our hearts to know that no matter where you come from, no matter what has happened in your family, we know that God's thread is still applied to your life today, that he could redeem you and restore you and give you grace. That's what I believe. That's what the Bible says, and that's what I believe. And I've seen it time and time again. You know, I wanted to do this series after Easter because I knew that there would be people coming and there would be a lot of brokenness coming uh, from family dynamics and I felt like, why not? Why not tackle that subject? Why not bring it to a place like this and say, okay, what does the Bible say? How do I maintain and grow in healthy relationships? Because what 20 years of pastoral ministry has taught me is that many relational wounds, many of our failures come out of the context of family relationships. Now, I know that there are plenty of great families, and I know there's plenty of great families in this room. I've watched you live life among each other. You know, I know that there's many moms and dads and aunts and uncles and cousins and people that are here that are, you're just pillars for your family, and you've shown a legacy of faith. I, I don't mean to come up here and tell you that like, all family is, is a bunch of problems and mess, but what I do know is even the healthy ones, even the ones that seem like they have it all together, I know that we have to fight for unity at times. We gotta fight for love, we gotta fight for grace, we gotta fight for forgiveness. These things don't just happen by chance. But there's people that are committed to fighting for the right things, holding on to the things that are true. So here's the truth, is that our introduction to relationships, how we see relationships, how we, how we function within relationships, let me tell you, it happens at the very beginning of our lives by what we see around our family dynamics. I mean, let me just be honest with you, 90% of how we do this is influenced because of the families we grew up in. We understand that. See, when a family works out right, it is the most life-giving, the most affirming, the most supportive thing any human can experience. But we also know that when family hurts one another, there's no deeper hurt. 
You know, family is so powerful for the good, but it could also be powerful for harm. Now, this morning, you might fall on one side of this or maybe somewhere in between. My hope is that today there might be something in you that stirs up to say, hey, God's gonna do something amazing through my family and it starts with me. So can we pray right now before we dive into this? Father, let's, let's just bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, God. I thank you for this time as we open up your word. Lord, I pray that it, it will just fall on good soil, soil that would be open, ready to receive. God, I pray, Father, that you help me get out of the way, not be a distraction, but Lord, that you come and you speak fully to your people today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, today we're gonna, we're gonna begin, we're gonna read about the, one of the most famous people in the book of Genesis. Maybe you could say the Old Testament. People who have never been to church before, never opened up a Bible, they've probably heard something about this guy. Probably heard something about the major story in his life. It involved, here's a clue, it involved an ark and it involved a flood. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, our boy Noah. We're gonna read about Noah. You know, Noah's life is, is in the book of Genesis in chapters five through nine. And really the centerpiece obviously is the flood, right? That was a big part of his story. But it's not all of it. Here's some fun facts about our guy Noah. Number one is that he was 500 years old when he had his first kids. Come on, somebody. That's crazy. <laughs> he was 600 years old when he built the ark. And there's a lot of great things that I could pull from the life of Noah and this whole amazing story about him building this ark and, and the flood. But as I looked at his life, and I've been studying it through the last couple of weeks, I, I wanna tell you there's a couple of things that I think are very insightful for us as we're talking about family, how to build the right relationships, and things that we can glean from this man named Noah. Number one is this, no one maintained faith in chaos. Maintain faith in chaos. See, when Noah started his journey with God, the whole earth was filled with violence. I mean, it's amazing to me that before there was an ark, there was a decision that was made from Noah, that he decided that he was gonna follow God even when everybody else, even when the culture was going the opposite direction, but that he was determined in him to say, I'm going to continue to stay faithful to God. Noah didn't find his significance in the culture. Instead, he sought to find favor in the eyes of God. I mean, that's something that we gotta learn. Why is this important? Because your family values will always be tested in this culture that seems to be going away from God. That's always gonna be, I mean, you felt that before, right? You, you hold certain stance, you, you, you have certain priorities in your life that honors God, and you feel like you're kind of walking in this culture that's going the opposite direction. But Noah determined in his heart that he's saying, I'm gonna set my eyes on God. I'm gonna set my eyes on God's direction. Listen to how this culture was during Noah's time. It's Genesis chapter six, verse five. He says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of their thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine the society? Can you imagine the culture of Noah's day? I mean, sometimes we feel like today seems dark, but can you imagine the time of Noah where it says that every thought, every intention was dark? Wow. Yet this man, what the Bible says, is that he was living under those environments, under that type of culture, and it says, verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
And then he begins the story and says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah, listen to this, was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Wow. That's amazing to me. Just in a few words, we learn a lot about this man, the kind of man that he was. I mean, it's amazing. Think about what it means when somebody walks with God. What does that mean? It's amazing to me that when Jesus was walking on earth and he was calling his disciples, what did he say to them? He said, follow me. In other words, walk with me. Come close to me. Walk in sync with me. And what we read about this man named Noah is that when the culture was going one way, he was going God's way. He was choosing in his own life to say, I'm going to continue to walk in the ways of God, even though everyone else seems to not be doing that. He was determined in his heart. He was determined in his heart. And so it made me think about this, and I thought, man, if he can do it then, if he can do it in that particular culture, then can't we do that today? Here's the thing. Who are the people who are the most closest to God? I mean, think in your life. Think about the people that you feel like, man, they walk with God. Who are these people? Isn't there something unique about them? Isn't there something special about them? When you get around them, you're just like, man, they just, they just, I just sense that they're, they're, there's something about them. Who are the people that are closest to God? Let me give you the answer. Those who want to be. Those who want to be. It's amazing that we live on this side of grace because what Jesus came to do is that Jesus came to make a way that there wouldn't be anything in the way for us to get to God. So the only reason why you feel like you're not close to God is because you're not wanting to be. But if you want to be, you have access to be as close to God, to walk with God, to be near God. And if Noah could do it in that culture, in that day, under that circumstance, then if he can do it then, then I'm telling you, we have more ability to do it now on this side of grace. It was a choice. It was a choice that he made. That's amazing. So what's the fruit of that? What's amazing to me is that he's each continued to walk with God. Before an ark was presented to him, before he was tested with this great test of an ark, he already made a decision in his heart that he was gonna trust God, that he was gonna walk with God, that he was gonna raise his family in the ways of God, and he stayed faithful to it. How can he do that? I mean, what's the secret sauce? Like, how do you do that under that type of culture? And I believe is this, is because the more that Noah began to walk with God, the more his faith began to increase. See, his faith didn't happen overnight. I mean, we think about how, how, how much faith did this man have to have to trust God. What we'll learn later is that this guy was not a carpenter. He was not known for his great buildings and his structures that he created with his hands. He was a farmer, yet God took a farmer and made him an ark builder. I mean, that was a tremendous faith for this guy to step out in in that culture and build this ark and tell the world that like, hey, this is what God's called me to do. But it didn't happen overnight. He didn't have that great faith overnight, but it was built in time. Here's how it was happening. He was close to God. He walked with God. He he desired, when all society was going one way, he was walking God's way. And as he was staying with God, he realized how faithful God was to his promises. And when you start walking with God and you start knowing how faithful, how consistent God is to his promises, it starts to fill your life up with faith when you see God's faithfulness to you. And that's what was happening. God was faithful. And at the end of this chapter, we see this, 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 this amazing account of his life that as God gave him the instructions to, to do this big task, when faith was demanded to him, of him, 
It says here, verse 22, it says, Noah did everything. Everybody say everything. 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 Just as the Lord commanded him. Now, most of us are familiar with what happens, right? He builds the ark. It's complete. God miraculously populates that ark with animals. His family goes in, and they're safe from the flood waters, and God is faithful to, to, to him and saves him and his family. God does what he says he would do. Rains for 40 days, 40 nights. And I think a lot of times that's usually all we hear about the story. Right? Usually this is where our, we, must, enough of our knowledge kind of goes and, and, and we, just, we see it as that's the end of the story. But I think that we need to hear today that there's more to the Noah story. There's more. And I think that in the more, there's a lesson to be learned about Noah. See, we tend to think of Noah as this perfect guy, this righteous guy. You know, this guy had this, all, this amazing faith and that is part of his story, right? We talk about goals, hashtag goals. I mean, let me tell you, this was the guy. Tremendous faith. But that was only part of the story. A lot of times we look at and we reduce his story down to like this kid's story. We don't see the whole story. We gotta read beyond the flood. And when you read beyond the flood, you realize that this guy was a normal guy just like you and I. Normal person. And today I wanna talk about after the flood. We never talk about after the chaos, right? We never talk about after the crisis. You know, we just think about this big task and, and we kind of leave it as that, but I'm telling you that any trial or test of faith that the world hands out, there's always something bigger than that. And the biggest task, and the biggest task in his life is not just surviving the flood, but it was surviving each other. And sometimes that's what happens. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis chapter nine. And we see at this part of the story of Noah, the flood's behind them. The crisis is over. The big event's done. They're saved. They survive. You know, if there was Instagram at the time, he'd show like a picture afterwards, right? We survived the flood, right? And it's after that that God gives him a blessing and a promise. A blessing and a promise. Start in verse nine. I mean, chapter nine, verse one. He says, when God blessed Noah and his sons, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? And like last week we talked about it in Genesis 2. Again, God blesses relationship. Again, God blesses family. And usually we stop there and we say, and they lived happily ever after. But we know that's not how real life works. And what we'll see is that Noah, they have to survive a crisis within each other. You know, a lot of times in our family dynamics, you know, we can, we can, we can huddle up, we can, we can fight when the going gets tough and we can, we can make it through certain things, but then once we get some success, once the, the, the trial is over, we seem to lax a little bit. And we don't realize that the thing that got us there is the thing that's gonna keep us in the right standing. And yet sometimes we let down our guard and that's what we're gonna see happen in the dynamic of Noah. What we see in his crisis is that he did maintain his faith in crisis. See, there always will be ups and downs. We see that he drew near to God at all times and he helped made God a priority. And then God gives him a promise. So God blesses him and now God's gonna give him a promise. What's the promise? 
Scroll down to verse eight. It says, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, he says, I now establish my covenant with you. How many of you know when God makes a covenant, man, that's serious business. God's making a promise here. And he says, your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those that came out with you in the ark, every living creature on earth, God is making a promise to them. He says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It's interesting here what God's doing. I mean, God is just giving him promise after promise. It's not just a promise with him, but it's a promise not only with his family, but it's a promise to all mankind. You know, it's interesting when you read God's promises, his covenants, there's three different types. There's the universal promise. This is God will say and he'll declare and he'll say, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter what happens around. This is what I wanna do. Then there's conditional promises where God says, this is what I will do and if you do this, you will receive that. In other words, there's a time in the book of James where he says, I will give you wisdom if you ask. And then there's a personal promise where God will make a promise that's personal. And how many of you know that God has made promises to you? And it's not just a promise for you, but it's a promise for your family. Not just a promise for your family, but it could be a promise that expands past your family into your neighborhood, into the city that God has placed you in, into the community that you live in, into the country that you're in today. And it also can go around the world. Some of you guys don't believe that. Some of you guys don't see that your value is that high in God's eyes. But God said that every promise is yes and amen through Christ. So that if you have Christ in your life, then you have every promise that is given to the Son of God, that he's given through, through him to you. You have promises. You should look them up. God wants to give you his promise. So here you see Noah, and he's blessed, and he has a promise. And you can see that he's living this out. He's in, this, he's in this new season of his life and he's blessed and he's living out the promises of God and the storm's over, it's long behind them and then we see conflict arise. Doesn't last long, does it? Scroll down to chapter, verse 20. It says, Noah, a man of the soil, remember he was a farmer, proceeded to plant a vineyard. So he starts to plant a vineyard. He gets kind of lax, kind of comfortable here. He's planting a vineyard. I wanna ask you this, how long do grapes, vines take to mature grapes for wine? I know, four years, somebody told me, that four or five years, somebody, somebody told me that last week, or last service, I had no idea, so four or five years. How long does wine take to ferment after that? Probably another couple of years, right? What's amazing to me is that as you look at these verses here, 20 and 21, we see at least about five, six, seven, maybe 10 years. But we see that the, finally the wine's ready. And he's probably thinking, man, you know, I've done my, my duty, time to relax. It's gonna have to celebrate here, have a, have a moment to celebrate. Maybe have a little, little bit for my dinner. And then what happens? Verse 21, it says, when he drank some of its, wine, of, of its wine, he became drunk and laid uncovered inside his tent. Now I know what you're thinking. This is crazy. This is weird. This is awkward, right? Work with me. He, he gets drunk. He, he goes in his tent and he's naked. In other words, he's too drunk to put on his PJs. 
You know, all week long I've been looking at this scripture and I've been processing through it and I'm like, man, God, you know, why, why'd you inspire Moses? Moses wrote this, this passage and I thought, why'd you, why'd you put that in there? You know, could have just left it after the ark, right? We could have just left it after he was a spiritual giant, he had great faith and he, he survived the flood. And then afterwards you teach us about this part of his life, this moral failure. And I think it's intended to be there so that he could see him that he was just like one of us. One who experiences highs and lows, victories and defeat. Here's what it tells us about our family dynamics. Healthy families don't mean you won't go through tough things. Healthy families can go through tough things that it means that they can make it through. See, good parents aren't parents that don't make mistakes. It's good parents that actually learn from their mistakes. Here's this righteous guy, this guy who walked with God, guy who, used, who, who was used by God and what we see in this passage is after this great victory, this great thing in his life, and we know what kind of character this guy had, but we also see that he stumbles like you and I. He got caught up in a moment and says that he stumbles with alcohol. And I got to thinking, I was like, man, what caused him to stumble? You know, what caused him to stumble? And, and the Bible's silent on that. We don't really know. You know, I wanna know. Maybe one day I'll ask, but right now I'm like, I don't know what, it, what caused him to stumble. Could it have been fatigue, you know? I mean, this guy was tired. I mean, he was old. <laughs> He's gone through some stuff. He worked hard all those years. He built that ark. He was exhausted emotionally, probably physically. And then I start thinking, maybe it was because he lost all these relationships in the flood. And have you ever thought about how that would affect him? Can you imagine how the flood might have impacted his life, experiencing the terror of this flood killing all mankind? You know, the Bible says that, that once Noah and his family were in the ark, he said that God sealed it. And I think it's because maybe if, if, if it was up to Noah, he probably would have opened the door. And later on, we'll read in this passage that there was conflict within the family. The three sons started arguing and they were in conflict with one another. So maybe it was family conflict, I don't know. But I think the reason why the Bible's silent on this issue is because I think the Bible wants us to ask ourselves, what causes us to stumble? What causes us to stumble? What causes us to drink too much? Could it be our fatigue, our tiredness, our stress? Could it be our damaged emotions? Maybe relational conflict, you know, where you just think, man, I just wanna have one drink to just get the edge off. Maybe, maybe I just wanna get, you know, happy. And then that one turns to two, and two turns to three, three turns to four, five, six, and, and you just wasn't what you started out. And I wanna be really careful about this topic, especially if you're new here to Grace. You showed up today and you're like, oh man, pastor's talking about alcohol, here we go. I wanna tell you, I've studied this out for a long time, and I've read through lots of scriptures, I, I, I talked to lots of pastors, and I wanna tell you that in the Bible, I've read, read through it enough times, and I believe that the Bible does not teach against adults drinking alcohol. In fact, when I read the Bible, I see that Jesus drank alcohol, and you can't be holier than Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, Jesus didn't just drink grape juice, he drank wine, wine, wine. But I also wanna tell you that you have to be wise here and you gotta consider some important things. You gotta consider this, is that the alcohol then is different than the alcohol today. And the access that we have to alcohol is different than the access that they had to alcohol then. And this highly 
addictive substance is way more accessible and stronger today than it was back then. So we have to be more vigilant. We have to be more wise and more mature about our access to alcohol. Can I be real with you this morning? I mean, I think this is important stuff. I think this is important as your pastor. You know, drinking becomes destructive when it causes other people to stumble. And that's the truth. Parents, when your kids see you drink, do they see discipline, moderation, maturity? Or do they see a license to do what's not good for them? I think that when you think about this, you should really consider some of these questions. Number one is that, do you have someone in your life that struggles with this? And if you were asked and given, would you partake if this person, you knew that this person struggled, would you be able to say no? You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches this in Romans. He says this. He says, don't use our freedom to cause another person to stumble. That's the rule of love. Now, I'm telling you, you have to approach this subject with, with sober judgment and personal conviction. You got to get to a place where you bring it before God and you say, you know, I know I have these freedoms. I know that I, 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 I know where I'm at, but I'm saying, God, I'm going to bring it before you. And I don't care what culture says or the expectations around me, but I'm going to bring it to you and say, God, is this something that I should be doing? And then another question for you should be, has it become a way that I self-medicate? Is it something that I go to to reduce my stress? And this is why it's so dangerous for me because I'm telling you that we live in a very stress-induced culture, don't we? I mean, when I do subjects on stress, man, people listen because they know all the, the demand that they have on their lives. And it's easy to go to alcohol for a stress reliever. And that's what makes it dangerous. Parents, you know, talk to parents in the room, when, when your children, when they see you, when they see alcohol as being your go-to to relieve stress, what are we teaching them? I wanna tell you the Bible says that the greatest self-medication is worship. When we draw near to God, when we feel overwhelmed and anxious and insecure, this is what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18 says, don't drink too much wine that cheapens your life. Drink the spirit of God. Oh, maybe before we go and run and grab the thing, maybe we ought to get on our face before God and say, God, help me. Work this through me. Here's the thing. This area isn't black and white. That line is always drawn in a different way for everybody in this room. But I'm saying, will you bring it before God? Because it's not black and white, we need to be more vigilant. We need to be more aware. We need to be constantly evaluating this part of our lives and say, God, is this, is this am I good? Where am I at? Because if we see that this caused Noah to stumble, this amazing guy, this faithful guy, then it can cause anyone to stumble, amen? Amen. But here's the truth, is that everyone is vulnerable to the sin of excess. You might be thinking this morning, you'll be like, oh man, that's not my problem, that's not my deal, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't drink or I don't have a problem with alcohol, so this doesn't apply to me, but I wanna ask you this morning, what area in your life do you consume in excess? Maybe the reason why our relationships are, in strug are struggling and unhealthy is maybe because there's some areas in our life that have become excessive and ultimately we're running to it instead of running to God and it shows. And there's just an off balance in our life. Can I challenge you this morning, friends? And I'm doing, this is a pastor's heart, man. I love you. And I wanna challenge you. Will you bring it before God today and say, God, help me to run to you instead of running to it? Whatever that is and seek his strength for the pressures of life and grab somebody around you and bring people you trust in. Let them hold you accountable because that's the pathway to freedom, amen? 
Now I'm telling you, man, if this is a struggle for you and if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't know how to get out, let me tell you, there's resources here. There's people here that would love to walk with you and help you work this out in your life. Got quiet. <laughs> yeah. And the last part is that it's all about honor. You know, really to help build our relationships, keep them healthy and maintain it. It's all about honor. Honor's a hard word. You know, we live in a culture where honor's not given easily, and there's some reasons why. And I'm a true believer that, you know, some honor you gotta earn, and, but when honor is due, then honor should be given. But I wanna tell you this, is that as I, as I read the Bible, there's another side to that coin in the Bible. Honor is given even when it's not earned. Think about this, God has given us a place of honor that we didn't earn. None of us can do enough things, earn enough to sit in the honorable place that God places us through Christ. Therefore, God's people need to understand that we need to also live out and give honor to those that we may feel don't deserve it. Let me just give you an example here. Let's keep going in our Noah story here. Verse 22. It gets better, guys. It's better. It says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. Remember what happened here. Noah's stumbling drunk, going into his tent. Strips down, passes out probably. Remember, he's got three kids, right? And they're all grown and they have kids and everything. And I don't know if you, have, anybody here have three kids like I do, right? There's something about three kids, right? When there's a conflict or argument, it's always two against one, isn't it? It might change a little bit, but there's always two against one. And for some reason, Ham, he's the odd man out in this story. So what happens is that Noah has this moment of weakness and he gets drunk and he stumbles in to his tent, passed out. Remember, in the context of this passage, in this whole book, nakedness symbolizes foolishness and shame. And this was a sinful act before God. So Ham sees his father in this state and he goes into the tent and he sees his father and immediately, Immediately, he goes and tells his brother so that they could ridicule him and he can challenge his father's character. You might think, well, what's the big deal? Like, why is this so serious? Here's the deal. He saw his father at a weak moment and he saw his father stumble and he took that moment to dishonor him in front of the rest of the family. This tells me that he must have had some resentment built up inside about his dad and his relationship, and so he took the opportunity when he seen his father down, he ran and stomped, and he wanted to cause more conflict, to dishonor his dad. Now here's the thing, guys, I, I've been praying all week about this, because I knew there'd be some tension here, and I wanna be very clearly that you, I wanna be very clear that you hear me in my teachings on this, and not misinterpret it. Parents, they're not perfect. Even the best of them will mess up, amen? amen. And our jobs as kids and family members, is to speak truth and love, and we need to confront when things are done wrong. But our goal should always be to, unity, to bring unity and reconciliation in the family. We need to restore somebody back to wholeness. That's what God's called us to do. But in order to do that, we need to help. We need to help with the Holy Spirit. We can't confront somebody on something that was done in a wrong way without the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, amen? Like, I gotta pray before I go and confront that's the only way it's gonna work. 
But I also know that there are many, some of us in this room, many of us who've been abused and hurt and abandoned by our family, by our loved ones. And I'm not saying to cover that up. No. I'm not saying for you to put yourself in a dangerous situation. What they did to you was not okay. It was not right. You didn't deserve that. And many of us, we're still walking in that. We're still trying to mend those wounds. And for some of you, it's not wise for you to get back in a relationship with those parents that were abusive. However, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, he will help us to work out forgiveness and he would take us and free us from the bondage of unforgiveness. And it is only through that power that we, will able, we are able to now stand and we can give honor to someone who don't deserve it. I'm not talking to you at a place I've not been. <laughs> I'm not talking out of a place that I've not been tested in and had to work through my life. Many of you guys know some of my story and I'm gonna share a little bit about that. But I want you to see in scripture what happens here and how honor and respect helped break this chain, break this pattern in Noah's family's life. It says here in verse 23, it says the two sons, they took this garment and they laid it across their shoulders and they walked backwards when they heard about what happened and they covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. You're like, what's going on here? This is weird. These two decided to give their father honor when he didn't deserve it. Now you had one son that dishonored and you have two sons that said, we're gonna change that. We're gonna show honor, even though he didn't deserve it. What was the sin in this passage? Was it a sin that the dad had a drink? No. Was it a sin that the dad got drunk out? Yeah. Was it a sin that the dad was sleeping naked? No, I hope not. <laughs> Thank God. Was it a sin? that his son went into the bedroom to catch his dad in sin so that he could tell the whole family, yes. And it's interesting how we've allowed sin from those in our family and they come and they lodge into our hearts and our lives and we then take that and we continue to add that cycle of sinful behavior in our families. And we have seen this time and time again, this vicious cycle that continues to go and continues to spread from each generation. And if we look back at many of our family's histories, we see that there's been a lot of things that have been lodged deep inside of people, these family wounds that just we avoid, we don't wanna talk about, we don't wanna deal with, but they're there. And we see that each generation, each family situation, each relationship has been affected by this. And what I wanna learn from this story, what I see in this story is that there was two brothers that stood up and said, not on my watch. I'm gonna break that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with my family. And I feel like maybe there's some of us here today that we see this and God has brought you here to hear this message, to look at this verse and believe that in your life, in your family, you could take a stand today and you could say, not in my watch. Not with my generation, not with my family. It stops with me. So how do you do this? How do you show honor? 
in a relationship that you feel like doesn't deserve it. Isn't that the hardest part? How do you do that? How do you break? And I'm telling you, I don't have five steps for you today. I don't have it. I have to tell you that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only by you getting on your face before God and saying, God, I need this. I need you to help me. I need you to break that resentment, that bitterness. I need you to heal me in the pain. And I believe that this morning could be the beginning of that. For any of those who ask, they will receive. You know, I shared with you a little while ago that this is a hard sermon for me to preach to you. I've been wrestling all week knowing that I was gonna bring it to this point in my life to you, to be transparent and open. And I just, it's rough. Some of you know my family history, know that when I was three years old, my dad left my mom because he thought I wasn't his because I, I was born with light eyes and, and, and light skin, and he said, that's not my son, and so he abused me, and then he, my mom left him, and I had no relationship with him for over 30 years. And then all of a sudden, as I started getting ready to pastor this church, I got a message on Facebook from him. I've shared that with you guys, right? And that was the hardest part, was like, how would I respond? How am I gonna reply to this situation? It brought up all those feelings, things that I thought I was over, things that I thought I was past. All of a sudden, all that stuff started rising up me, and I realized that I do have a deep wound. I do have something lodged in me that I need to get out. And I thought every hurtful, bad, evil thought towards that person. And I thought they deserve everything they got, but then God spoke to my heart and showed me about the grace that I received and said that if you're truly able to stop this from going on beyond your kids, beyond your, then it stops here and it stops now and you get to restart everything for your family from here on out. And what he's done in the past, you can't control, but you can choose what you're gonna do now. And I sent a reply and we started talking and dialoguing and in that conversation there was forgiveness that was made. Did I say that everything that was okay? No, I didn't say it was okay. I just told him that I forgive him and that I pray for him and that I truly believe that God is the only one that can help this man and rescue him and help him and that he can be set free from any guilt or shame that maybe any of my life or any of the situations, decisions he made caused him. But I'm telling you, friends, I only know this stuff because I lived it. I walked it out. And as soon as I surrendered it to God, it was like something gushed out of me, something free me from everything that I was holding back because I trusted God in that moment. It set me free. Can we stand? I only share this. It's not easy, but I only share it because I'm hoping that it helps somebody this morning. That if there's anybody here today that you're struggling with a family wound, if you're struggling with something deep down lodged inside and you're just sensing, man, this has been messing my family up, this has been messing my relationships up, I wanna give you the opportunity today that as an act of faith that you raise your hand towards heaven and you open your hand as a symbol of what's happening on the inside and you're releasing it to God and you're saying, God, I'm not holding back. I'm not gonna hold it. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna release it to you. And I believe that if you do that with your heart, God will come and he will heal that heart. He will heal your life. So can we just close our eyes right now and bow our heads? And I believe that there's a powerful moment happening right now in someone's life that wants to be set free from a family wound, that wants to show honor, live a life of honor. And I pray, God, whoever that is today, God, as they're stretching their hands to you right now, God, in faith, believing, God, that your word is true. 
And then you can do this deep work, I pray right now, Jesus. By your Holy Spirit right now, will you come and will you fill their hearts? Will you strengthen them? Will you heal them deep inside? Give them the strength. Give them the wisdom. Give them what they need today, God, to walk out of here and be set free from any bitterness, unforgiveness. So they don't pass it on, God, that they can continue to be set free and start fresh. And then, God, I just want to add, Lord, I want to pray for anyone here today, God, who's been running to other things instead of running to you, God. I pray right now that there'd be a repentful heart here this morning, God, to say, God, I'm sorry. I see that I've been doing that too much, too often. And right now, Lord, I'm asking for help. I'm asking for you to begin to work that out of my life so that I could find my peace in you, God, my peace of mind. Fill my heart with more of you, God. Break this habit and give me strength each day. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for what you're doing among our church, how you're healing families and setting the course of a new future for them, a good one. So we thank you for that. We bless your name. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being part of what we're doing here this Life Group Week. I hope you have a wonderful time with your life groups, helping process through what you've been taught. And uh, remember, it's Mother's Day next week, so you got your warning. Do something good. God bless you. See you next week.